I have a question uh, for any teachers or students. Any teachers or students in the room this morning? Yeah, okay. Wow, lots of us. The 9 a.m., there was like three. Okay, I have a question for you. They still do yearbooks? Yeah? Oh, yearbooks are so cool, aren't they? You order them in like November, and then you get them in like May. It's like a six-month turnaround time. It's like the worst turnaround time in the history of ordering anything. You get it. I, I know we usually got it on like the last day of school. You get that yearbook, and then what do you do with the yearbook? You pass it around, right? You get that bad boy signed. You say, hey, so-and-so, will you sign my yearbook? Hey, so-and-so, will you sign my yearbook, right? And these people, they say like, oh, I love you so much. Or like, oh, we never really got to talk a whole lot, but I think you're a really cool person. And hags, right? <laughs> Have a great summer, baby. Hags. Okay, all right. So here's the deal. Sometimes these messages summarize the relationship you have, but most of the time it's just like this message that this person wants to send you off with until you see them again, hopefully, in the fall, right? Because you don't know. I mean, Jimmy's parents might decide to move to Montana. Like, this might be the last time you see Jimmy, so you need that yearbook message for him to, like, send you away, and maybe he'll even give you his phone number. You can hit him up, text him, or call him, or whatever, right? Yearbook messages, they're awesome. I found some on the internet this week that I just like, I had to share with you guys this morning. All right, so here's a couple that I wanted to share with you guys. The first one says, Andrew, my bud. <laughs> Math was hilarious. At first you creeped me out, but then I found out you're cool. Hags, man. XOXO, much love. All right, let's get, I can't tell what he says at the bottom. So anyways, let's skip that. All right, next one. This one's great. She says, hi, I have never talked to you in my life, but that's Okay. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck next year, my senior year. Love, uh, Fatima. Fatima makes it about herself at the end, like my senior year. Uh, anyway, the, the last one, this is my favorite one. Uh, this is from a teacher. He says, Ashley, our, the teachers in the room are going to relate to this one maybe. Ashley, sometimes I go home and can't sleep because your annoying voice that just doesn't stop keeps ringing in my ears like the worst torture known to man. That is all. Good luck, Mr. Seated. <laughs> so good. Now, I read into this one because I was like, surely this can't be real. It is real. It was sarcastic, though. The teacher does not actually hate Ashley, although I don't think he really loves her voice uh, all that much. Um, yearbook messages are awesome. This is my yearbook from sixth grade. Kitley Intermediate School. It's in Indianapolis. Go Cougars. Uh, we have one cougar in the room, my twin brother. He went to Kitley, so go Cougars. Uh, this is my uh, yearbook, and uh, you'll see there's some, some people wrote some messages on the front here. I didn't even ask them to do that. Uh, and then we, we got a lot of messages here uh, on, the, on the last page, some friends that left their phone numbers. One of my buddies just wrote his name like across half the page. Uh, there, were, there were, to be if I'm honest, there were a couple of ladies that wanted to know that they thought I was cute. Uh, you know, whatever. You pass that yearbook around, I mean, you never know what you're going to get, right? These are yearbooks. My wife is like, who are they? I'm going to track them down. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This, oh, wait. I think we had a picture of me in sixth grade. Did it, did it show? Okay. So I tried to protect the identity of my classmates, except the dude next to me. Look at that mohawk. And I was like pretty cute. My sixth grade picture is good. Seventh grade. You always have that transition where it's like one picture looks good and then the next year you're like, oh my, what happened to him? Sixth grade was like, hey, he's a cute little kid. And then seventh grade was like, oh my word, I can't look at his face anymore. Anyway, uh, yearbook messages. <laughs> yearbook messages are awesome, right? We've been uh, in this series called Never Let Go, uh, journeying through the letter of First Peter most of the summer. 
And we talked about how this is a letter that Peter wrote to a collection of churches in Asia Minor that had experienced some intense suffering, intense loss. And so Peter writes this letter to them to, to comfort them and to give them some guidance. And this morning we wrap up this series, Never Let Go, by looking at Peter's final instructions his final instructions, and we're going to focus in on two verses that I like to call Peter's yearbook message. All right, this is like the thing that he wants these people to know about. In fact, commentators say that verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5 contain the entire thrust of the letter, which is just a really intelligent way of saying, hey, this is Peter's summary of the letter, okay? All right, so we're going to be reading. If you guys have in your Bibles, you can turn in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And before we read, just so you know, the first few verses of this chapter, which is all of Peter's like final greetings, uh, contain the first five verses, a message to the specific leaders and elders of the church. We're not going to cover that. We just don't have time uh, this morning. Uh, but just so you know, our leadership team, our elders, tomorrow night are going to be praying and reflecting on those instructions to Peter, which would be cool. Uh, after the verses we're going to read, Peter just acknowledges the reality of the, of the enemy and to be on guard and, and that sort of thing. But where we're going to be this morning is, like I said, the, uh, met the summary of Peter's entire letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Will you read with me? It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore. So Peter's just given instructions to the leaders to humble themselves. So that's why he says, therefore. So he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And it doesn't say in your Bible maybe, but in mine it says hags. Peter, said, Peter says hags. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. Do not write me an email that uh, you said Peter said hags in the Bible. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Peter says humble yourselves, therefore... Under God's mighty hand, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I like to say, and I didn't come up with this, uh, but, but I like to say that this part of this letter, these final greetings, this yearbook message contains the command and the comfort of the entire letter of 1 Peter. It, it contains the command and the comfort. Everybody say, the command. It contains the command. 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 All right. Everybody say, the comfort. The comfort. It contains the command and the comfort. Some people say the ethic and the comfort, but ethic doesn't start with the same letter as comfort. And my fifth grade teacher showed me this thing, alliteration. I've kind of been obsessed ever since. All right, so command and comfort sounds way cooler. Command. Peter says, gives instruction. He gives command. He says, humble yourselves. And he says, cast your anxieties on him. That's the command. He also gives the comfort. He says, you can do this. He gives the how. He gives the why. He says, you can do this because God's, might, God's hand is mighty. God wants to protect you. And you can cast your anxieties because God cares for you. He gives the comfort. In these two verses, Peter gives the command and the comfort. Now, in your Bibles, what I read is from the NIV. And these are two separate sentences. But I'm actually going to pull up. This is the ESV, uh, the, a different translation. And, and uh, it's more uh, close to the original language that Peter would have written this in. It wasn't two sentences. It was actually one sentence. Okay? And, and I've got a little color coordination going on here. So I, don't, I think that's red. Does that look red to you guys, the humble yourselves? Okay. So red is command. So he says, humble yourselves, command. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, comfort, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxieties, command, on him because he cares for you, comfort. 
Peter offers command, and then he offers comfort. He offers command, then he offers comfort. So I want to jump into these commands to start with, these two commands. Humble yourselves and cast your anxieties on God. Let's start with the first one, humble yourselves. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to be honest with you a lot this morning, all right? Starting with this. The word humility is a little bit of a charged word for me, okay? I was a bit of a braggadocious child, okay? Uh, I believe that I was the best at many things that I did. Uh, I see a mother rubbing her son's arm. <laughs> I won't say who. Uh, anyway, that's amazing. Um, we, hey, we have braggadocious children sometimes, and that's all right. It works out, okay? But um, I had people telling me, like, you need to be more humble. You need to have humility. But oftentimes the way that people would talk about it made me think that I just needed to have more like negative self-talk. Like I just needed to be like, oh, you're not, a good, you're not as good at this. You're not as good at that. Pro- I did probably need to tell myself those things to just have some self-awareness. But that's not humility, okay? That's like, I think our, our modern world is kind of obsessed with this idea of humility that's very like self-centered. Right? Like, you hear the phrase, like, work hard, stay humble. And people will post, if this is you, I'm not attacking you, okay? But uh, some people will post, like, a, a video of them in the gym, and they're, like, doing reps, and they're like, oh, I'm working so hard, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, getting so strong, and I'm staying humble, right? It's like, really? Are you staying humble? <laughs> or there's, like, the phrase, like, humble beast. People are like, I'm a humble beast. <laughs> is that kind of like an oxymoron? Like, humble beast? Anyway, it's a self-centered way of thinking about humility. It's a self-centered way of thinking about humbling oneself. This is not the kind of humility that Peter has in mind when he says, humble yourself. Okay? The, the biblical understanding of humility has a lot less to do with what I think of myself and a lot more to do with what I think of others. I'll say it again. The biblical understanding of humility has a lot less to do with what I think of myself and a lot more to do with what I think of others. I read in like seven commentaries this week. I can't track down who originally said it, so we got no uh, address for who said this. But in seven commentaries that Austin read this week, it says this, Humility, from a biblical perspective, is an attitude that puts others first, which thinks of the desires and the needs and the ideas of others as more worthy of attention than one's own. That's humility from a biblical perspective perspective. I know it's hard. That is hard. Humility, right? The uh, best example that we have of humility is written in the New Testament. It's a different letter to a church in Philippi. Uh, It's the letter of Philippians. It's written by a guy named Paul, not Peter. I'm not going to confuse the two. Torin and Dr. Birch have both succumbed to that. I will not do it, okay? I'm going to commit. I'm not going to confuse them, but Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians, and he said, Jesus is the best example of humility that we have. He said that Jesus humbled himself by becoming human and lived and died in obedience to God. That Jesus lived and died in obedience and in humility. He humbled himself towards God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Together, they humbled and died on a cross, died a death that we deserved for the sake of others, for the sake of humanity, for the sake of us. Jesus humbled himself towards others. Jesus humbled himself towards God. Biblical humility humbles two directions, towards others and towards God. And Paul, yeah, Paul says this is true humility. Notice, it's not like negative self-talk, right? It's just like it's an attitude. It's a life that puts others first. 
I was thinking of uh, racking my brain, like, what's an example of this today, like, in our world? And I started experimenting with something. I'd encourage you guys to try this week uh, to test out what, what this humility stuff looks like. Walk into a room this week. Give this a try. Walk into a room this week and look at all the people in the room and say to yourself, I'm not the most important person in this room. Look at the faces around you and say that these people, their desires, their needs, their ideas are more worthy of attention than my own. Not because they're better than me, but because I am choosing humility. I'm choosing to humble myself. These people, I'm going to put them first. An attitude that puts others first. Think about this. Guess how many times Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, creator of the universe, the most important human who has ever walked the face of the planet. Guess how many times Jesus walked into a, a human room that was dirty and smelled like feet. And even though he was the most important person, guess how many times he walked into a room with that attitude and acted like he was the most important person? Any guesses? Zero? I, mean, I can't say for sure, but that seems like a good guess to me. In fact, Jesus actually washed those smelly feet. Like that's true humility. But this is a lot to ask. When, pe when Peter says humble yourself, like this is a lot to ask, especially of a church scattered across Asia Minor suffering intense loss and, and persecution. I mean, you got to understand that when, when Peter says humble yourself to this audience who, who would have opened Peter's letter and read it for the first time, they would have been thinking, yo, this comes... This comes with a cost. I'm going to lose status. I'm going to lose respect. For the audience that, that would have had Peter's letter read aloud to them, they would have been thinking, putting others first, that's going to come with a price tag. I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to lose family members. For the people who, who would have gathered around this letter, these instructions from Peter, they would have been thinking, this, we're talking about some serious risk here. Like, I... I might lose my livelihood. I might lose my job. I might lose my own life if I'm to consider other people's ideas and needs and desires more worthy of attention than my own. Peter recognized that what he was asking, these instructions to humble yourself, would come and would raise some legitimate concern and worry, anxiety. But Peter's ahead of the eight ball. Now, I realized I wrote that this week, and I was prepping yesterday, and I realized I don't think that's a phrase. I think you can only be behind the eight ball. I don't know if you can actually be ahead of the eight ball. Uh, but anyway, you guys don't seem to care, so that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Peter was ahead of the eight ball. Like he, he was anticipating that when he said, humble yourself towards others, towards God, that the people that would be reading this and hearing this for the first time would be like, but wait, wait, what about, and before they could even like finish the thought, I imagine Peter writes this phrase, and, and so he continues with the second command. He says, remember, we cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us. It's almost like, a, like parents do this. Like uh, a parent will like present an argument, and the child will present a counter-argument. And before they could even finish the counter-argument, the parent's already like two steps ahead, and they're like, no, 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 this, right? This is kind of what Peter does. Like here's an example. Uh, when I was growing up, like we went out to eat like all the time. Okay, like most nights we went out to eat. My parents don't love to cook. We had three boys in the house, sports, whatever. Like we were, we were out and eating most nights. At one point we were even on like the, the free kids meal circuit. Okay, like it was like, 
Monday nights was like uh, Lone Star. It's like a knockoff Texas Roadhouse. All right. And like Tuesday nights was like Denny's or something, like getting the grand slam at Denny's, you know, like, uh, and uh, it, it was a good old time. Now, when we would go out to eat, before we could even sit down most, most times, my parents would look at us, and maybe you've had this experience, uh, kids, my parents would look at us and say, you're getting water. <laughs> you're getting water. You're getting water. Don't even think about trying to convince this waiter or waitress to bring you a Coke that I'm not going to pay for. You're getting water. But there's a little loophole to this policy, isn't there? The kid's meal. Because the kid's meal usually comes with a Coca-Cola or any other drink. But why would you choose any other drink than Coca-Cola? It's nectar from the heavens. It's so delicious. I don't understand why anyone doesn't like it, okay? It's so good. I heard somebody, I watched somebody go like this when I said that. Yes. Amen. Amen. Coca-Cola is so good. So, like, I could have Coca-Cola and I could have food, right? It was like a perfect world. It was, it was great. But then a, a problem started to develop. When I was like 10 or 11 or 12, like, I started to get a little more hungry, you know? I would sit down and I'll be very hungry. I'll be like hungry like a horse. And so I would sit down and I would, I would start to put together my argument of why I'd, I need more than a kid's meal. And I'd be like, here's the deal. Like, I'm really hungry. I just had practice. And I, really, I could really use an adult meal tonight, you know? And, and my, my parents aren't cruel. <laughs> so you, they'd be like, okay, like whatever you need to do to be full. You know, if you need to get an adult meal, if you're going to eat it, like you can get it, right? Uh, and then when they would say that, I would realize, oh, no, we have Houston, we have a problem. Uh, <laughs> and I would say, but wait, I, I really want to go. And before I could even say Coke, they would say, then you're going to get a kid's meal. Then you're going to get a kid's meal. But well, I really want a Coke. Then you're going to get a kid's meal. Okay, you have two options. You can have Coca-Cola and you can leave here hungry. Or you can have water and you can be full. Those are your two options, right? Okay, like they would stop me in my tracks before I could even say I want a Coke. And they'd be like, then you're going to get a kid's meal. When Peter says, casting our anxieties on God because he cares for you, it's like his version of like, then you're going to get a kid's meal, right? He's imagining these people, he's saying, humble yourself towards God, and he's imagining these people saying, well, wait, wait, raising the flag, what about this, what about that? And before they can even finish the sentence, Peter says, and remember, we cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us. And this instruction from Peter, this second command, to cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us, Sounds like, it sounds awesome. It sounds so cool. It sounds so inspiring. It makes me want to pump my fist, right, for those of us in the room who don't have anxiety. <laughs> like, for the few of us in the room, I'm guessing there's few, uh, who kind of just like, right now, life feels pretty, like, worry-free. No concern, no anxiety, no uh, pit in my stomach, no chest tightness, no nothing. Like, life is pretty good. And you're like, cast anxieties on God because he cares for us? Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I have some friends that are dealing with some anxiety. I should go tell them this. Guys, go cast your anxiety on God. He cares for you. It'll be taken care of. You're like, this is awesome. Uh, but I said I was going to be honest with you guys. Uh, and if I'm honest, I don't think I've ever like, said this from the stage, but, uh, and it's not like a super deep personal thing or anything like that, but I am an anxious person. Like I'm an anxious person. Uh, sometimes like the weight of life just feels like a lot for me. Sometimes people's, the needs of the people around me, sometimes the things that I just need to get done can like, they can get to me. And like, I have a pretty great life. I still feel that way sometimes. Like I feel anxious. Sometimes it's like, I have a heavy season. I work really hard and I, I push through, I get all the stuff that needs to get done. And then I experience like an intense level of anxiety afterwards. 
the way I describe it to people is like, imagine stuff that needs to get done and I'm like digging, right? Like I'm digging, I got to get it done. I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging. And then I finally get done with the thing, all the stuff that needs to get done or whatever. And I go up to rest, I go up to breathe. And I discover that I've dug so deep physically, emotionally, spiritually, that the air around me is toxic. And it's like, anxiety. (laughs) Maybe some of you guys can relate to this. And others of you are like, that sounds traumatic, dude. (laughs) That's all right. Sometimes it's just like a simmering level of anxiety, okay? Like sometimes it's just like some chest tightness here or there. Like a few weeks ago, like Olivia and I are expecting our first baby, which is great. Yeah, super cool. Uh, Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, but parenthood is also really uh, terrifying, okay? Uh, and so sometimes I, like, just a few weeks ago, I was, like, having, like, some chest tightness. I was like, parenthood, this, this is stressful stuff. And parents in the room are like, just wait, buddy. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I'm an anxious person. So I, I, I know, I speak for myself and for others who I've spoken with, some of the people even here in this church, when I say that at times, not all the time, but at times, Peter's command, Peter's instruction to cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us can feel token, can sometimes feel frustrating. And for people who have been battling with anxiety long enough, this instruction and this command can even feel hopeless. And I don't have a lot to say to that this morning. I wish I did. Other than to say, it's okay to feel that way. That if you feel that way, you still belong here. That if Peter's command to cast anxieties on God because he cares for us is met with some cynicism, is met with some frustration, even hopelessness, that it's good to be honest about that. And I I believe that God wants to meet you in that, that God wants to meet you in that honesty. There's a, a pastor in San Francisco, his name is uh, Dave Lomas, and he's pretty open about his anxiety, his, his wrestle with anxiety at times, and he says something about anxiety I just believe is so true, and before I show you the, the quote, I just want to say, he, he, this is not him trying to shame anyone, this is not him trying to simplify anxiety and say, this is all that anxiety is, and if you fix this, then it'll all be taken care of, or anything like that, okay? He's just trying to draw out a truth, a, a lie that we believe in moments where we're experiencing anxiety. He says this about anxiety. He says, anxiety is momentary atheism. For a split second, We convince ourselves there is no God, and it's up to me. There is no God, and it's up to me. Like for some of us, like we've been looking for a house for like months, right? And And we thought this one was the one, and it wasn't the one. We thought this one was the one, and it wasn't the one. We're on like offer number eight, and we're like, surely this has to be the one, right? But we haven't heard back. Or maybe we've been looking for that job offer. It wasn't this one. It wasn't that one. This one feels like the one. We haven't heard back from the job offer. Surely we should have heard back by now, right? And for a split second even, we convince ourselves, it's all up to me. I feel like God isn't there. It's all up to me and I feel like God isn't there. Some of us like, we just, uh, we, got a, we got our insurance payment. We got our rent that's due this week. We got a parking ticket yesterday, and we thought parking was free downtown on Saturdays, but somehow we got a parking ticket or whatever, and, and now that's due at the end of the week, and we're like, I don't have the cash to pay this. I don't know where I'm going to get the cash. Like, 
It's all up to me, and I feel like God isn't there. It feels heavy. Or some of us, we've been trying to have a baby for like two years now. And nothing seems to be working, like diet, medicine, IVF, like even when we pray, nothing happens. And we find ourselves saying, it's all up to me. It feels like God isn't there. Or maybe we're in college and we're like, yo, I've changed my major eight times. I don't know what I'm supposed to study. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It feels like it's all on me and it feels like God isn't there. Or maybe work is like completely overwhelming and we just try and keep our head above water. And even when, we, even when we do, it all starts to come crashing down and we feel overwhelmed. We're not sure if this is what we're supposed to do or what we want to do. Or maybe we're so in love with the rush that we get from feeling so busy and so anxious that, that we're scared of anything else. And we feel like, it's all up to me. It feels like God isn't there. Or maybe, and this is a familiar one for me, It's just the general weight of life. Like, there's this conversation that I need to have at work. There's this project that needs to get done at the house, and the grass needs mowed, and the plant needs watering. I gotta set up that savings account, and I gotta get the kids the shots, and I gotta go to the groceries, and the list goes on and on, and the weight gets heavier and heavier, and the easier and easier it becomes to think, it's all up to me. I feel like God isn't there. Some of you guys are like, I wasn't feeling anxious, but I think now I am. (laughs) But what we do in these moments, we convince ourselves it's all up to me, that there is no God. And what we do is we do the opposite of humility. We do the opposite of humbling ourselves towards God. And we say, no, no, I'm the only one. It's like the, the person in the water that's drowning, that's like drowning the person next to them so they can stay afloat, right? We do that with God. We do that with people around. We're like, it's all up to me. No one else is around. And Peter instructs us, humble yourselves towards God and cast your anxieties on him. I think for many of us, this, these commands in the face of the struggles and the hardships of everyday life, just like the original audience felt, I would imagine, I think we find ourselves asking questions like, if I'm supposed to put others first, who's going to protect me? If I'm supposed to put others first, who's going to protect me? And if, if I'm supposed to, to give the weight of this life and the burdens and the responsibilities, if I'm supposed to give that to God, who's going to carry it for me? Like here on this earth, like that's a nice sentiment that God's going to carry that, but like for real here on earth, who's going to carry this stuff for me? And through the words of an ancient letter, I believe that God is saying to us, put down your weapons I will protect you. My hand is mighty. Through the words of an ancient letter, I believe God is saying, lay down your tools. I will carry the load for you. I am carrying. You can rest in my strength. You can rest in my care. This is the comfort of Peter's letter. 
And Peter's really just reiterating a message that Jesus gave multiple times, like a lot of times, okay? And most notably, I think most clearly, Jesus gives this message in Matthew chapter 11, okay? So uh, before we... Flash the slide up there because we do have the text. I just want to say, Jesus has just given his Sermon on the Mount, okay? He's just given everyone the vision of what his kingdom looks like. And then he sends out the 12 apostles. He says, go and do this thing. And then they come back and then we get this. This is almost a prayer. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here's what I love about this invitation from Jesus. By the way, we did a whole series like on this soul passage in the fall. It's called Slow. It's based out of a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So if you're like more interested in that, Go back, watch this, watch the series, read the book, whatever. But here's what I love about this invitation from Jesus. Oftentimes when we think about casting our anxieties, we think about God protecting us, we just imagine like all the stress of life just magically is like poof, boom, pow, gone, right? Because that's, I mean, that would be awesome, right? I think that's why we think that. But this is not what Jesus offers. This is not reality. Jesus doesn't offer a magic pill or a magic potion and say, hey, drink this and all the stuff's going to be gone. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't offer some secret work strategy to turn your 40-hour work week into a 20-hour work week so you can add more stress to your life and more things and it's all the same anyway. Jesus offers his yoke. He says, take my yoke. And if you're like, what is yoke? Like, in the gym? Like, yoked? Like, working hard and staying humble? Like, getting yoked? Like, what's Jesus talking about? A yoke was, a, as an, was an image. An image used to describe a, a teaching, a set of teachings, a way of life that a, that a teacher or a rabbi would offer to people. And the image itself derives from yoke proper, which was, was a farming tool a work instrument that was used to connect two oxen, to to carry the load of a work instrument and do farm things. I don't really know a lot about farming. (laughs) But I know what a yoke is. A yoke is a tool used to carry the load. This is what Frederick Dale Bruner says about yoke. What he says about yoke and Jesus' invitation. I'm going to read a little bit that won't be on the screen in the end, Will. He says this, A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers his yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. Surely they need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. Then he says this, but Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Oh, so good. He says, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus invites his followers to take his yoke, to live life with him, to take on his way of life and let him do the heavy lifting. And underneath this invitation from Jesus, underneath this instruction from Peter, is this underlying assumption, and it's this life is hard. 
full stop, period. Life is hard. If your life is easy right now, I'm so happy for you. That's great. I did a quick study this week and I discovered that uh, 100% of humans of all time say that life will get hard at some point. It was a super academic study that I performed this week. Jesus knows this. <laughs> he, he was human himself. He knows this. That's why he doesn't offer escape. He offers equipment. He says, take me. Take the way I live life. Attach yourself to me and let me do the heavy lifting. Let me do the carrying of the burdens of this life for you. I love what John Mark Comer says in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says this. He says, an easy life isn't an option. An easy yoke is. And the truth is, I could blabber on for 10 more minutes and that's not going to do anything to convince you or to show you that this is true. The only way that you're going to know if what Jesus is saying is true, come to me, I will give you rest, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, the only way for you to know is to try it. That's the only way, is to try. To see if, if, if the more that we start to be present and available to others the way that Jesus was, if the pressures of that house or that job start to kind of slide off a little bit. To see if the more that we love others the way that Jesus loved others, if the more that we don't feel the pressure to come up with that cash and make everything all right because it's all on us. To see if the more that we pray the way that Jesus prayed, if his peace and his presence meet us in our pain and are hurting. To test out and see if the more that we humble ourselves, if the more that the instinct and desire to perform and earn our worth start to fade away and work becomes just work. To see if the more that we attach ourselves to Jesus, the more pressures of this life fade away and the burden of life starts to feel lighter and easier. The only way you're going to know if this is true is if you try it. My hope and my prayer is that, that the Spirit is working in many of us. You have that simple step that you're like, I've been thinking about doing this, and this would actually help me attach myself to Jesus more. And I just encourage you, take it. Take that next step. Like, I don't know what it is for you, but you know what it is for you. It's time to take it. And if you're like, I have no idea, like, this is the first time I've heard about this yoke of Jesus stuff, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do or anything like that, I have an idea for you. It's earth shattering, okay? Jesus says, attach yourself to me, come to me, get to know me. So the, the simple step that we could take is just getting to know Jesus a little more. Read the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew, it's in the New Testament. I read from it this morning. Do it a verse a day, do a chapter a day, do whatever you need to do to get to know Jesus, to get to know his life, his ministry, his teachings more and more and attach yourself to his yoke. All right, I wanna, I wanna close with this because I'm well over time, I know that, but uh, I wanna close with this. Peter signs his yearbook message. He signs his yearbook message. He doesn't say hags, okay? But he does sign this yearbook message. He does it because writing was different back then. He does it at the beginning of the final greetings. He addresses himself. And he says, he addresses himself. He says, humble yourselves and cast your anxieties on God. Signed, Peter, the witness of the sufferings of Christ. That's how he signs it. That's how he addresses it. And at first you're like, oh, this doesn't raise any eyebrows. Peter 
Peter signs it. He says, witness of the sufferings of Christ. Cool. What's the big deal? So you think about like, wait, wait, wait. Why would Peter address it, the sufferings of Christ? If you know anything about Peter, you know that the sufferings of Christ are directly linked to some of Peter's darkest moments and deepest failures. I mean, Peter had a lot of baller moments. He had a lot of success. He could have said, I, Peter, the witness of the transfiguration, or I, Peter, the witness of Jesus feeding the 5,000, I, Peter, Jesus, or the witness of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. No, but he says, I, Peter, the witness of the sufferings of Christ. Like, at the start of Jesus' sufferings, Peter yanks out a sword and tries to attack someone else to prevent the rest of the stuff from happening. He kind of gets it all wrong. And when Jesus, the start of Jesus' suffering is happening, he's being tried and convicted, he's about to be murdered, Peter rejects Jesus, even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, three times, doing the thing that he said he would never do. The sufferings of Christ are directly related to Peter's darkest moments, his deepest failures. And he says, I, Peter, the witness of the sufferings of Christ. Can I just say, like, few things look less like humbling yourself towards others and towards God than yanking out a sword and attacking someone who, and trying to protect the God who's trying to go to the cross to protect you. Few things look less like casting your anxieties on him than rejecting even knowing the person who's offering to carry them for you. And yet, here Peter is saying, humble yourselves, cast your anxieties on God. You see, Peter can offer this command because he's experienced the comfort. He's been met by a God who even in his darkest moments, even in his deepest failures, just will never let go. A God who is mighty and wants to protect him. A God who is caring and wants to carry the load for him. And through the words of an ancient letter, we are met by a God who even in our darkest moments, even in our deepest failures, just will never let go. A God who is mighty and wants to protect us. A God who is caring and wants to carry the load for us. I think for many of us, he's just asking us, lay down your weapons. Lay down your tools and step into my invitation. Step into life with me. So we're going to move into a time of, of worship and prayer. We're going to start with the prayer part. Prayer is actually the, the space where we humble ourselves towards God, where we're able to cast our anxieties on God, and it's also the space where God meets us and provides the comfort, His mighty hand, His care. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're gonna, I'm going to pray to kind of close out, and we're going to just spend 30 minutes, or not 30 minutes. You're like, oh my gosh, no, 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 please no. <laughs> we're going to spend 30 seconds in silence, just listening to God, entering into prayer. And then we're going to sing one more song in response and worship to the God who will never let go, the God who is mighty, the God who wants to care for us. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Help us humble ourselves. Help us cast our anxieties on you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. 
comfort us with your mighty hand and with your care. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.